Welcome to Brand Growth Heroes, the podcast that explores how insurgent brands in consumer goods categories are driving transformational growth. Here our guests talk not only about their brand purpose or why, but also how where they play, who they employ, and how they work has driven their incredible success. The case study in category transformation that is on everyone's lips right now is Oatly. But did you know that Oatly has been in existence for 30 years in the dairy alternatives category? Okay, mainly in the Nordics. But still, it's only really over the past five years that something has changed massively, at least in the UK market. In 2016, Oatly's revenue was around £6 million. But this year, they're looking at hitting around £75 million. I chatted to Ishan Paran, General Manager of Oatly UK, to understand more about Oatly's brand mission and also what levers he and the team have pulled over the last few years to create such transformational growth. Ishan, welcome to Brand Growth Heroes. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. I'm sat in my room. It's really hot outside. It's about 30 degrees. Um, I've got the door closed uh, and the windows closed because I'm scared my two-year-old's going to burst in and, and throw tractors across the room. So, <laughs> I know um, that but apart feeling. apart from that, I'm good. And yeah. you just had a baby, right? I did, yes. So we've got a six-week-old baby. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been incredible, and actually working from home has really helped on, on that piece, kind of balancing the the family life as well as Oatly, which is eventful and very busy but very enjoyable. I can imagine. I can imagine working in such a high-growth company right now must be so exciting. So listen, let's start by telling our listeners, for those of them who may have been asleep over the last three years or not been inside a supermarket because some people don't do the shopping or not drunk a coffee in a third place, as they call it, coffee shop. What is Oatly? What kind of products do you guys sell? Where do you sell them? And tell us a little bit about the incredible transformational growth that you guys have brought to the dairy category over the past, particularly three years. Yeah, so Oatly, um, it's a company with Swedish origins, actually. So it's the leading oat milk maker um, and it makes other oat-based food products. And it's become, I'd say, the dairy alternative of choice amongst baristas. So it's available in coffee houses out of home. It's got good distribution uh, within retail as well. But what a lot of people don't know is that actually the brand is 30 years old, but a lot of people have seen it sort of more over the last five years. Um, the brand presence is really strong across the Nordics, parts of Europe, such as UK and Germany, um, as well as making really big moves in America and Asia. Uh, but for us, Oatly's more of a mission with a movement. Um, we have gone in and we have completely disrupted the dairy alternative category. I think previously, you know, Almond and Soya have always been there and they've dominated um, the dairy alternative fixture. I think they had a market share. When I joined in 2017 of around about 30% each, mm-hmm. Oat had a market share of 8%. Oat is now the number one and it's got a market share of over 30%. So yeah, it has come in and it's kind of turned the category upside down. That's amazing. And so I think you, in a pre-call, you said to me that when you joined the company in 2017, market sales, was it market sales or turnover in the UK was around 10 million? So I joined in 2017. In 2016, um, gross revenue was around six million, and I think it was growing at around about fifty percent. So yeah, three just over three years later, I joined in two thousand and seventeen. At the end of this year, we expect to be around about seventy-five million. That is unbelievable. And has your team grown at a similar pace? 
Yeah, it's funny. At the beginning, we were renting desks um, in in a place in Old Street, just sort of a couple of us, and everything was actually outsourced. So we had third party salespeople as well as um, marketing consultants. But um, yeah, over I've moved away from that structure because I think that's the first thing that I recognised is that you need your own team that believes that the alignment between people's values or employees' values and the company's values had to align. So. Um, yeah, the aim was that was the first thing that that identified, and that's the main piece, which is to to build that organisational design. So today, yeah, there's thirty, no, twenty five of us. We wow. are based in Shoreditch. Um, obviously, we're all working from home at the moment, but yeah, it's a it's a fantastic team, a very inspiring team. So tell us a little bit about you then, before we get into the 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 the, the real um, meat and bones of of and that's the, really the wrong metaphor, isn't it, to use? <laughs> it before is. we get into all of the detail of of how Oatly has done what it's done, tell us a little bit about you. How did you end up working for Oatly as as UK general manager? So I was previously so I've I've, I've been in kind of FMCG all, all my kind of working life started at Procter and Gamble did five years there um I really enjoyed it but uh selling washing powder wasn't for me um and I needed something that I could personally connect with so I moved to the world of SMEs and immediately fell in love with kind of the chaos and the fast pace but also working with people that genuinely believed in a mission or an end goal so uh the last one before Oatly was Bear, the kids fruit snack, um, which I think at the time when I joined, it was the fifth biggest uh, kids fruit snack and became the number one and then sold. And that was a fantastic brand because it not only helped kids have a healthier diet through moving away from kind of snacking on kind of high sugar chocolate bars um, to kind of pure fruit, but it was also about educating and engaging with kids. And we got I think we used to get 3,000 letters a week no. um, from kids. And no. that's that's what made it worth it when you read that stuff. So at my end of my time there, um, Bear sold to Lotus Bakeries and I was looking for kind of the next the next brand. And for me, the three key elements was um, it had to do even better in terms of a mission and purpose versus where I had been. Okay. wanted it to be high growth. Um, and then also I wanted kind of more responsibility uh, and a wider context because I was commercial director at Bear. So you'd even set yourself criteria uh, for your next move. That's very Procter & Gamble. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And I can, do you know what? It's funny now that I, I hadn't realised your, your your first five years were P&G, but, you know, I did tell you before we started that you're the most organised um, and detail-specific interviewee that I've ever had. And I can I can <laughs> see now where that came from all those years ago. Yeah. <laughs> that must yeah, be a, a fabulous asset when you're working in a high-chaos environment. Yeah, it, it is, but... And again, that was five years, but the last the last 15 years has been on the SME side where I feel like the amount that I've learned there has been sure. unbelievable. Um, and especially at Oatly, you know, I've been here three years and it genuinely feels like three different businesses in terms of in terms of the, the environment, the way it operates. But the consistent thing across that is the people, their approach and the values. And that's been, yeah, that's been fantastic. And has working in that business for the last three years changed you as a person, do you think? Yeah, for sure. Like it's, um, yeah, three years ago. So I, I'm now fully plant-based. Um, I, yeah, I, I could not imagine being fully plant-based three years ago. So 
my parents are from the from Trincomalee, which is on the east coast of Sri Lanka. So I don't know if you've ever been to Sri Lanka. Um, it's a beautiful country and has, I know I'm biased, probably the most delicious world cuisines. Um, and it has a lot of vegetarian and vegan dishes, but um, it also has a lot of meat and fish curries and lots of spices. They're very fragrant um, and they, they they combine very well together. And my mum is an unbelievable cook. So she used to make the most wonderful like chicken curries, mutton curries, prawn curries. And you can, you can see a theme here. So yeah. yeah. Um, and despite she made loads of good vegetarian vegan dishes, my default was always the meat or fish curries. And then you add into it that I'm a British Sri Lankan. So I also eat kind of beef burgers and chicken and, and all that stuff. So up until the age of 39, dairy, meat and dairy made up s- such a large part of my diet. Um, so today to think that I don't use any of it when I cook or that I eat is absolutely astounding that I could make that change. But the really interesting thing, and this is absolutely true, is that my food tastes better, which still when I tell people that they're like, no, surely, like genuinely my food tastes better. And that's because I've learned a lot more on how to cook, what to cook with. Um, I also feel better um, and that's much clearer in terms of kind of energy levels but the most important thing is that it's better for the planet and I think all of those three things have been a personal motivator for me and obviously having kind of two kids that um, that again uh, helps with with the motivation on doing why I do it for why I have done what I have done or the decisions that I have come to on this. So let's talk about Oakley's mission then because that's such a central part of this growth story isn't it? Yeah, so it's all about sustainability and, you know, that's been the personal driver for me, which is climate change. And that's something that I've learned more and more about working at Oatly. And the more that that I read and the more that um, I got involved in, the less I just felt compelled to eat meat and dairy. So, you know, if you think about it, the world has changed rapidly in the last two centuries. You know, over 11,000 years ago, population was around about 5 million and it took 11, over 11,000 years to reach 1 billion. In the last 200 years, we've gone from 1 billion to 7 billion people. Like that is a mind blowing development in mm-hmm. global population. And then you compound the fact that the amount of resource um, that each person requires is significantly more than they did 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't take much to work out that this is going to have um a significant impact on, on on the planet and food consumption is a huge resource requirement and it's come to light in the more recent years actually that livestock is one of the biggest contributors to the world's greenhouse gases so it equates to all of travel and that's every car every plane every boat um, every mode of transport on this planet is the same as the or is the equivalent to the, the amount of emissions from livestock so you know, we need to redesign the food system and that's that's what's needed. And that's 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 a big mission, because um, if you look if you look at global food production. So if you take the earth, half of all of the habitable land on this earth is used for agriculture. So that's every other square mile that humans you know, are able to live on or to use um, is used for agriculture. And out of that, 80 percent is used for livestock and 20% for crops for human consumption. Wow. 
But the really interesting point is that 80% only delivers us 18% of our calories. So it it highlights a super inefficient um, resource draining use of the land. And that's having a major impact on nature and, and the planet. And, you know, ecosystems are built and they survive on a delicate balance of, you know, clean air, water, land, all of these things. So if it's destroyed, then so are the species within it. And, and that includes humans. So, yeah, it's it's a, it's a major issue. So how does oat milk production uh, address that? So um, for us, it's about shifting from um, from animal base. So the livestock, you know, when you look at um, the majority of a, a lot of that use, it is cattle. So it is for beef production and milk production. So, you know, our aim is to shift away from uh, cow's milk. Towards an alternative, which is which is oat milk. Exactly, exactly. Um, and it, it, look, it, it seems, it, it sounds quite stark in terms of all how, how big the issue is and what needs to happen, but we're seeing there's so much more visibility on it now and there's so much more information. I think that's been the really positive thing is that we know that this is a human cause um, and therefore, as humans, we can kind of come up with the solutions for it. So, um whether that's switching from fossil fuels to renewable energy um, or whether it's shifting our diets from an animal-based to a plant-based, they're, they're major shifts in society that can help. So take us to 2017 or the end of 2016. Where was Oatly at that point in the UK and, and Ireland too? And, and even, you know, just touch on where it was in the, in the States. And what I really want to get under the skin of is what, were the levers that you guys pulled in order to create this incredibly steep growth curve that you can see uh, when you when you look at a graph of Oatley's growth before and after 2017? What what did you do differently? Yeah, so there were a number of things that were done pre-2017 that, that helped and we can talk about that in a bit, but specifically with regards to 2017 um, and the setup of Oatly UK. So as I talked about earlier, one of the the key things was um, the organisational design and making sure that we got the right people in that were, that had that um, alignment on personal values and um, the company's values. And, you know, we have one, um, we have one rule when it comes to recruitment is that we never compromise. And we always look at, um, capabilities and values over experience and i think back in 2017 when we were setting things up you know it's hard when it was relatively unknown only um in 2017 i had only just heard about it and i'm in this kind of business so it was relatively unknown so to get those three things um values capabilities and experience is actually very difficult for a small brand you know now we're in a much fortunate position where we can do, but as I said, like it's still hard because we never compromise. Every hire has got to absolutely excite us. But the first stage was to get the right people into the business. Um, and that included increasing our um, focus on out of home and obviously on the retail side. But again, w- when I came in, retail was around about 90% of the business. Okay. Um, and it was all managed by the third party sales force. Um, so we had one, um, sorry, we had one 
25-year-old barista consultant that also worked um, on the brand. And his job, uh, so he's called Toby, um, and he, he acted as a consultant for us. And his job was just to go to coffee shops within Shoreditch and get them to try the product. And like he's a 20, he was a 25 year old barista. I don't think he really thought that he had a real job because ultimately what he was doing was going to places that he loved, hanging out with people that he loved and getting paid for it. So um, what we noticed though, is that the feedback was really positive from this area and we could see there were bits of momentum and, and it wasn't easy though, because at that time there was almond and soy, they were the dominant players and the, co the coffee shops didn't want a third like dairy alternatives wasn't really setting the world alight so and especially not oat milk it just you know it it sounds a bit weird doesn't it oat milk so you know but the cafes toby had a relationship with some of them they trusted him so they thought look we'll, we'll try it out and as i said we looked at the feedback we could see the momentum and i think that was the first thing that we did was to refocus on out of home so we look to increase the resource in terms of our London coverage. We look to get more baristas working for the brand that were truly passionate, you know, and these aren't salespeople, like they don't have sales KPIs, you know, it's not about the number of calls that they, they go in. So it, it's about what value that they can add to the barista community. So they do a lot more than just, um, just talk about Oatly, to be honest. And I, I can talk about that in a bit if you want. But um, so, yeah, it was a refocus. So we increased our focus within London. Toby looked at um, broadening um, across more of the, the, London, um, the London boroughs. And then we recruited someone in, in some of the key cities within the UK as well. And it just took off like wildfire because the baristas, if it's the one thing baristas know is quality and they want the best thing to go into their mm -hmm. best coffee so as soon as that gained traction then everyone just followed and what we saw in retail about six months later was the same trend so you know we started the o trend in in out of home and it came across to retail um so so yeah that was definitely a a significant step so the first one was probably, you know, setting up your own UK company rather than just having distributors and externalised field sales force. You decided to actually yeah. have your own structure, have your own people, yeah. have the right people in place. And then yeah. this idea of, and I'm imagining it happened quite organically at the beginning, creating, giving the opportunity for real brand ambassadors to do real brand ambassador work that came from yeah. a place where it was actually beneficial to their self-actualization and their identity, their self-identity, rather than a paid piece of gig, a gig. Yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. And, and, and it's so funny, isn't it? Because I, I'm thinking of a lot of brands that I've worked with um, in the past and a lot of brands that you know, we all see uh, on Instagram or LinkedIn and, and they're paying people to be their brand ambassadors, you know. What they're trying to achieve is what you achieved with the baristas, except that with the baristas, it came from a place of self-motivation uh, because it did something for their own self sense of self. Yeah. That, and when you when you compare and contrast the two, you can see that actually one is really, really valuable. The other is going to give you diminishing returns over time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so so I think it's it's a great case study, even from the kind of brand ambassador point of view, what people should actually hold up to as, as 
a, a great model to, to aim for. So, okay, so those are the first two things. Tell what what was the third thing then? And then I think the third one was it was about the innovation and offering more choice through kind of first class innovation launches and really getting people to understand who we are and what our personality was because previously obviously everything was outsourced so maybe it was a little too safe and didn't want to take some of the decisions or have have such direct communication on certain matters in Mm -hmm. case they upset you know we're talking kind of the direct about uh, with regards to milk um so yeah for us that was that was the next stage and when I joined, we only had five SKUs in the UK, so it was a clear opportunity. Sweden had about 100 products, but wow. it wasn't about, yeah. So it wasn't just about pulling products from Sweden. In order for this to work into you in the UK, like we need to offer consumer choice that's um, that's right for the UK consumer. So um, we already had um, a, a limited offering within kind of the milk section, but it all was in our ambient milk. So um, when I say ambient, so it's the kind of long life section, the dusty aisle that, sure. you know, not, everybody knows you it. Know, yeah. Everyone knows that the old dusty aisle. Um, and we had, we had representation in chilled, but it was one, one product on its own that was the wrong formulation that was not commercially viable for us as a business. It just didn't work. It didn't work for the retailers. Ah. It didn't work for us. So this is a massive pivot, another massive pivot. This 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 was a big one. And what we wanted to do was expand the offering in that chilled section. So okay. what we worked, we worked with Sweden to develop a range of chilled milks um, for specifically for the UK that had the right fat content, that had that used the right milk cues such as whole and semi ensured that it must work with hot drinks like our barista product and that was key and 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 something that i love about oatly in the past is if you have a good idea you just do it so we didn't do any consumer research on this like we knew this would work and we wanted to launch it as quick as possible we knew we had a great product a great idea but what was key was the execution it was all about the execution so we launched, so we delisted that that one line. We put in these three lines, which, you know, again, we weren't that big of a brand at the time. So some retailers understood, others, you know, challenged and rightly so. So, um, but we, we got all, we got the majority in 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 a few of the retailers. Mm-hmm. And in line with the launch, we ran our first like holistic campaign, which used the creative. It's like milk, but made for humans and. That was the, I don't know if you call it a slogan or, or the wording, that was the statement in Sweden that they got sued for using. So there was always, they got sued by the dairy industry okay. back a few years ago. So there was also hesitation, I think, pre when we set up Oatly UK by um, maybe people that there were before, whether to go that direct. Sure. Um, but we were very clear, like, this is what we're about. This is what we want to say. So Had they lost or won in Sweden out of interest? They lost. Huh. But they won. What do you mean they lost, they but they lost, won? They lost, but they won. Oh, okay. So they lost the case. But, but they got so they much PR. The case, they put the case on the website. And this was a small independent Swedish company at the time. And it was ultimately being taken on by, by a giant industry. So they put that they put that case on the website. And the people of Sweden got behind it. And actually, it gave them a platform 
to grow outside of that. So, you know, we can't take credit for that. That's uh, the creative is held in Sweden and it is incredible. Um, and it's very values based. You know, they are not about selling products. They are about doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. So we use that creative. And did you spend a lot of money? Was it across a lot of channels? No, we like we were still only turning over. I think by that stage, we were probably turning over around 10 million. So we still, you know, and we had a P&L to run. So it wasn't like we were going to overinvest just to kind of to, to win this distribution or to get this awareness. You know, we, we did it in 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 a manageable way. Okay. So we, yeah, we ran the campaign, um, but we made it look a lot bigger and more expensive than it was, I think, because... We just took some massive billboards in key locations in cities okay. and then um, supported that with lots of little kind of outdoor fly posters and, and defects. And I, I remember actually that we pick our location so carefully, like Alice, head of marketing and myself walked around Shoreditch looking at the different sites and picking them and saying, right, you know, that would be that would be good to send to Sweden and then Sweden would do the creative. And even till this day, like Erica in our team that 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 works on that side of things, she traveled to Bristol to go and look at right. the different outdoor sites. So you so, didn't just leave it to up to the media agency to choose the sites and no. you to signed off a category of sites. You actually decided yourself which sites you wanted to purchase. Yeah, because the copy is so specific to the sites um, that that's really, okay. really important. This is really, really interesting because it strikes. I remember when I was in working in, in Paris running Goo France and I sat down with uh, the, the the MD of, of Innocent France, a guy called Philippe Conté, who's still around, he's a great guy. And he was going store by store. He was working out which aisle manager needed to be motivated in which way. And I'm, I'm, I was coming from Nestle at the time and I was thinking, what? <laughs> Surely you just deal with, you know, the large car for stores in one way and the small car for stores. No, he was like address by address, writing down the name of the the aisle manager. And, and, and actually it is this attention to detail, point of sale, point of, of, of communication or, or engagement with your with your consumer that you've got to have to be this successful, don't you? Mm, yeah. And there's an obsession around that, around um, the standards of that. And as I said, so we, yeah, we, we, we did those bits, but the standards then we, we set within the, the print or big sand send outs, in-store promotions all had a creative that linked to it. So, you know, um, it, it looked much bigger than it was. And then we also did a sampling drive as well. And you talk about, you know, attention to detail and doing things the right way. So when we did the sampling, like we don't sample a small thimble of oat milk um, to passers by. Like we sample full cups of great quality coffee made by world-class baristas. And when I mean world-class, like they've uh. won, won awards um, across the, the globe. Like, they are very talented individuals. So, so you don't you don't sample a little thimble of oat milk. You sample a coffee. Yeah, we said. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you know, it's it, and it's expensive, isn't it? That because I remember when I was working with Chobani um, launching in the UK, and I was putting together the budget for for launch, and uh, over, sending it over to the states. And at that point, Hamdi Yulukaya used to sign off everything himself because we were really young at that point. And there was only, I think there was only five or six people even in the USA at that point. Mm. And the sampling budget included 
um, you know, a little bit of Chobani in a cup and it came back going, no, we want full cups of Chobani. But each cup of Chobani at that point cost over a quid to get to the UK. Mm. But still, yeah. we we sampled full cups and each sample cost us a pound. And it's the same thing, isn't it? It's like this generosity of if you're going to taste this, you're going to taste it how it's meant to be or you're going to experience it how it's meant to be experienced. Yeah. You're not going to just do it. You're, you're not just going to have a little thimble full of it because that's all we can afford to do, which kind of, it kind of defies the whole reason for having the sampling in the first place. If you can't give them the experience of what it's supposed to be like when you'd have it at home or out. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you've nailed it on the head. And, and even though it is costly, it, it you know, the, um, the way we sample as well, it's not just like a, a coffee cart. It's, it's a full blown, um, execution um yeah an experience so so execution is another so if we go back here because this is a list that is so important you set up the uk structure you got the right people in with the right type of criteria for you as a business you did all of your work with the baristas in in out of home which was absolutely key which then opened up people's uh kind of mental maps of of another dairy alternative that 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 um performs really well and tastes great in their coffee when they're out that then opened up the door for you in retail you yep. innovated went into chilled got brand blocking and then brought your message in really strategic way really detailed way to communicate what Oatly's all about in the right place at the right time to the right people but finally your mindset is all about attention to detail, almost obsessional attention to detail, so that you get all of this right all the time. Isn't that right? Yeah, it, it, it's funny because things move so far. Almost, we've kind of sometimes we feel like we're making it up as we go along, and we are because you have to. You have to when things are moving this fast. But you're right; there is an obsession with kind of the quality, the detail, the getting it right, that I think runs through the whole team. And this is what I, what I mean when I get yeah, that values and, and that values and that mission drives us to like obsessively do the best, um, which is, which is great. But also I'd have to say working for a Swedish company, and this is one of the things that I've, I've really appreciated and has been different um, versus other places. The the real focus on a balance on your your work life and your family, and you know they all take the whole of the summer off. All the, the whole of the Swedish business. It's like you know, um, and there's no kind of working late. It's 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 very different. But there's still obsession detail and about the execution. That's amazing, isn't it? So it is possible. It is, it is possible to do both. It is. It is. It's, don't get me wrong. It's challenging. And I'm sure in certain areas, there'll be certain functions that are way more stretched at certain periods and all of sure. that. And I think that's that's our challenge as we continue to grow is that, you know, we've gone from that startup where it's super high energy, but we are now maturing um, and it's going to still be high growth for the next X number of years. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, we, we do need to 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 have some calmness within the business. So we are, we're definitely putting in some good measures to help that. If you've enjoyed this podcast so far, then please do share it on social media and take a minute or two to write a review on iTunes. It would make a big difference in allowing us to interview even more super guests with great advice that can transform how you do business. So talk to us a little bit about where you are in Ireland and in the USA, because we've got a lot of listeners in both. And are you in Australia at all? 
Um, so in answer your questions in those orders. So Ireland, um, yes, we look in the UK, we've been constrained um, due to the, the, the high growth. So we haven't been able to go into Ireland in the way that we would like to. But we have um, we have distribution with uh, insomnia. Which is mm-hmm. oh, yeah. the, the main the the main coffee coffee house there, um, as well as Duns and Super Value, and I I believe that we're the number one dairy alternative within Super Value, but yet we haven't done any um, any marketing yet. Uh, which look, Ireland is a focus for us. We've obviously got Brexit coming up that makes things challenging, but you know it's it's such an important market. So that's that's the island side. Well, if you want any any uh, contacts from my black book, please don't oh. hesitate to ask after the show because obviously I've lived and worked there for the last uh, nine years, so I can help in any way I can help. I can open it up for you. What about the US and Australia? So the US. Um, so when I joined, um, a guy called Mike Methersmith um, started up the US arm. Um, so uh, and so we started about the same time, and it is gone through the roof out there and i think again you know supply challenges but you know i think the focus again was was new york it was very much about the the coffee scene and then to go out to the different um to the different states and build that case study and then retail and they've done it in in a very sort of uh very similar and systematic way but obviously the size of america and it's just yeah, as I said, it has spread like wildfire. And the very interesting thing is, you know, also got a really strong presence in in China. So for the brand, and the brand looks the same in all of those places, and it has the same tone, and it has the same personality. And I can't think of many brands that have an appeal, and especially food brands that have appeal in the same look across all those different continents. No. Um, so, yeah, and I think that's because, you know, it's of our time. It's of our time. And what we stand for is a global issue. And mm-hmm. we understand cultures and each other's cultures much more. So, um, yeah, it's it's been been very interesting to to see from a UK perspective. It's also really interesting as well, isn't it, that when you look at a, a category that has been around, such as a dairy alternatives, and you know, dairy alternatives were doing great, weren't they? You know, soy milk was uh, in in Alpro was in fabulous growth, and it was one of the poster childs of of category transformation of the last um, ten years. But there was a friction with any soy milk product, isn't there? There was a, a friction that even those of us who purchased it, and I'm I've been a soy milk drinker for twenty years, and that is a lot of negative press about what it does to the planet. Uh, And also, I think in terms of, you know, maybe educated or uneducated understanding of phytoestrogens and the effect on the body and, you know, understanding that oestrogen can cause all sorts of weird and wonderful things in women. And you don't necessarily understand if there are links or if there aren't links. So there was all these kind of um, slight discomfort in the back of people's heads. And also a lot of people didn't necessarily like soy milk because if they tasted it over the last 20 years, it didn't necessarily taste like it tastes today in a barista style Alpro. Mm. So they would have been turned off it. 
But then you you come along and you solve for those problems. You solve for the bad soya, you know, how much water it needs and uh, clearing the large swathes of land across the world to plant it. And you also solve for the taste issue because a lot of my friends would say, I'll drink oat milk because it actually tastes a lot more like milk. And it's not that I don't like milk. I do like milk, but I just want to drink less milk for reasons for either my health or for the planet. So you came along, the, the ground was almost prepared. There was a place in the buyer's minds and in the buyer's category for dairy alternatives. Yeah. You know, there was a role for it. It created category growth. People, there was demand for it, consumer demand, shopper demand, but it was limited. It was limited by these frictions. And you come along, you solve for those frictions and all of a sudden, boom, the sky's your limit. Let's talk about the future because you told me on our prep call that actually your household penetration is only 5%. Yes. Now, how in God's name... If your household penetration is only 5% and you're already turning over 70 million quid a year, mm. what is that going to look like when your household penetration is, even if we take like something like strong roots, you know, which I think I understand it's around in the middle teens, you know, what's your business going to be like when you're in the middle teens or the thirties? Yeah. It, you know, I don't want to put any numbers to it, but it's going to be, but it's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. basically. <laughs> um, it is. Yeah, it's going yeah. to be blooming massive. And, and, and so the focus for us, you know, and one of the biggest challenges is on on supply. And you know, we've we had a really tough period back in two thousand and eighteen, um, and that was so that was just you know obviously I started seventeen, but two thousand and eighteen was a really really tough period. And I remember going into retailer meetings and kind of I've, I got thrown pretty much thrown out of a retailer meeting because I, I was saying to these guys like look th this is the future you know stop more of our products yet we can't supply you on the core ones at the moment so um you know it was it was difficult for retailers to, to understand and but they just for our listeners just because it's really quite interesting here because it kind of gained a cult status on the media uh, certainly i was watching cnn this morning and they were talking about the great oatly shortage of 2018 <laughs> i mean when cnn names it the great oatly shortage of 2018 you know you guys are part of the zeitgeist yeah, and I, it's I can laugh, big. I, I can laugh about it now, but it, at the time it felt, um, yeah, it felt a very difficult period. But at the same time, we knew we knew what was going to happen. Like we could see it in the data, we could see it in consumer kind of um, preference. Um, okay, we didn't think it was going to be as big as it is, um, mm -hmm. but 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 we knew it was going in that kind of very high upward di direction. So. Um, so, so yeah. two things, two things before we go, because I know we've already been on for a good chunk of time. Um, the first thing is oats. If we are all going to be drinking this much oat milk, and I'm imagining oatly, you know, if you've got a hundred uh, skews in Sweden, you're very much a cross-category platform for oat dairy. Yeah, dairy alternatives across numbers of categories, right? And that's that would be a great conversation for another day, actually. We should come back and do more on this in the future if you'd like to. Yeah. If we're going to be growing that many oats, how do we make sure that we're not going to get ourselves into an unsustainable agricultural situation that is 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 negative for the planet in the mm. same way that maybe soya or palm has in, in the past? Yeah. Look, our, our aim is to move away from kind of dairy. That's the key. And, you know, if you look at it versus cow's milk yeah it's 80 percent less co2 emissions i think 
80% less water, 60% land, um, okay. less land. So, you know, it's a much more efficient. Um, you can right. get so much more out of that space. And as I said earlier, it provides um, a high nutritional value as well. So what about money for the cool. farmers? Because I'm just thinking, I mean, why wouldn't whole countries, you know, Ireland is massive, a massive uh, dairy and mm. and beef producer, but like, as is the UK, but, you know, does it make money for the farmers because the farmers are making a loss on every bottle of milk they produce? Yeah, it's um, it's a, it's an interesting one. And actually, we're doing some work with farmers to help them and to support them move away from um, to move away from animal farming to more plant farming. So um, we have a farming project and that's predominantly in Sweden, but that's happening now outside. Um, okay. So. Over the past few years, like we've worked with a farmer called Adam, and he's been making that shift from livestock to crops for human consumption. So before the move to crops, I think the farm could support 60 people with food for a year. After that move, the following year, it was 200 people once he moved to crops. So the farm's also become more profitable, um, and it's allowed him to expand. So uh, don't get me wrong, at, at the start, the farm had some support from Oatly, you know, it, and, and this is what it needs at the beginning. We need to support these things just as the meat and dairy industry gets its mm -hmm. help and subsidies from the government. Plant based solutions needs the same. And that's from, yeah, OK, us as companies. But to be honest, it, it it's wider than that. It's from governments as well. And, and we are starting to see that in some countries as well. And the second thing I wanted to ask you, you've had some really interesting uh, investment recently. Talk to us a little bit about the investment you've just had, the club deal that you mentioned, what your key focus is going to be in the future. Yeah, um, obviously really, really exciting. Um, there, there were kind of two things that happened. So there was a club deal where the interest rates and it, the amazing thing about this, so a club deal, what a club deal is, is basically, I think it's it's a bank loan. Look, this isn't my area of expertise and and this is all um, dealt with with the kind of the Swedish global team. So it, the loan and the interest rates on that loan are linked to sustainability targets. And there's four. So it's water consumption, energy consumption, electric transportation and CO2 emissions saved. So, um, you know, and it's about taking investment and using it in the right way um in order to 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 benefit the planet and that's the same with this new investment what what we want to do is look to convert mainstream investment into something that will ultimately improve the planet um you know we have a mission which is around upgrading the planet and there's no point of having a mission if you don't take action so only can't just act locally like we have to act at, at a global level um, and change traditional sectors such as finance, large investment se sectors, all of those things is the only way that will make change. That's amazing. I mean, you're thinking so big, you know, so all of the suppliers that you're using, even down to your finance series, you're looking at how you can use that to make sure that your mission lands in an even bigger way. Exactly. Yeah. As we said, the requirement to change is it's a must and it's now. So we can't spend all our time debating these things. Like we, we have to do them. We have to take action. And this recent move allows us to do that, allows us to um, build new oat production sites, factories. Um, as you talked about, what are we going to be doing next? Um, yeah, for us, it's about expansion. For the UK, we can still 
offer more choice in the current categories we're in. We can launch into new categories. So we've just launched into uh, yogurts. So we've got a range of oat gurts. Um, we launched ice creams last year, but there's so much more as well. And also new channels. Um, so for us, convenience, more of food service, cash and carry, all of, all of those areas, we've been constrained over the last you know couple of years. But you know, this again allows us to um, to go after some of those opportunities. Well, listen, Ishan, it has been absolutely fabulous to talk to you today. I would love to have you back on in a year, uh, you know, or even probably before, to be honest. But let's give it a year so that we can see just how far you guys come in a year. I, I'm really excited to, to hear because uh, you've got such a massive future ahead of you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks a million for all the insight. I think all of the listeners are going to learn so much about the, the levers that you guys have used to drive that transformational growth and wishing you and your team all of the very best. Thank you, Fiona. It's been an absolute pleasure. Brilliant. Brilliant.